Hi, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Who's That Then podcast. Doesn't that feel good to say? Doesn't that feel good to hear? We are back, dear gentle listener, after a brief break, and I will get more into that afterwards. But as for right now, I have an amazing, amazing character for you. I decided that we're going to pick our podcast back up in the same place as we started in the first place. That, that made sense. Today we're heading back to the Caribbean. Today we're going to talk about a man who was named the Prince of Pirates. The Robin Hood of the Seas. There's even a witch in this story, except not really. This is the story of the notorious Black Sam Bellamy. So why Black Sam Bellamy? Well, I'm glad you asked. My love of the Golden Age of Piracy is very well known. Mostly because I keep bringing it up all the time. But there's just something about it that grabs me and sticks with me. When I find myself daydreaming, it's always like as a 1940s detective with a hat and a revolver or a sword warrior crossing the sea to new lands or... So very often, it's myself as a great pirate captain sailing across the Caribbean seas. I can feel myself digressing, and so I'm going to focus back. Black Sam Bellamy was the richest pirate to ever live. In his only two-year-long career, he made an estimated 120 million, or even possibly 161 million US dollars in today's currency. Though, right now I am getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the beginning. Samuel Bellamy was born in the beautiful county of Devon on February 23rd, 1689. Now, Devon is just an absolutely stunning and beautiful place to visit. And if you're ever in the south of England or the south of Wales, it's definitely worth popping down and having a look. It has rolling hills and beautiful coastlines. I really like Devon. And I'm sure you would too. I also have two really good facts about the year 1689. First and foremost, on February 13th, the English Parliament adopted the Bill of Rights and established the rights of Parliament and limited the power of the Crown. And second, it is the same year that Mary II and William III came to power as the only joint monarchs in English history. I think that is so cool and I wanted to share that with you. Anyway, back to Sam. He is the youngest and last of six children born to Elizabeth and Stephen Bellamy. He was the last child because Elizabeth died only a short time after he was born. As a young man, he may have began his sailing career, but what is known is he joined the Navy in his late teens. As one of the King's sailors, he fought several battles and gained very useful skills for his later and far more lucrative career. After being dropped by the Navy in 1715, he was dropped off in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, which is just incredibly hard to spell. It is at this point in Sam's story where we lean into the folklore. There is a plethora of different stories and ideas about Sam here. As far as I can tell, the most commonly used and widely accepted story is also the most heart-wrenching one, and that's the one that we're going to go with. But... For the sake of giving you all the information, I'm just going to run down some of the other ones real quick. Sam met a woman named Mary Hallett, and they fell wildly in love. 
except her name might not actually have been Mary. The source has her named as Goody Hallett, and the only use of the name Mary comes from a book from 1934 where she is called Maria. I don't know which her actual name was, and maybe none of these are true. But I'm going to go with Mary because that's a name that I know. That's a name that we recognise, and I think it's a name that suits her. There is even more debate about Miss Hallett, even if she may have been a Miss or a Mrs. If that's the correct title for a married woman, I always seem to mix it up. What I'm trying to say is that our dear Mary may have already been married when she met Sam, who also may have been married from his time in the Navy. There is no evidence to prove this, but it is a story that you hear. And, dear gentle listener, that is not where the intrigue ends. Nobody can seem to agree on how old Mary was. It seems to me that the 16 to 25 age range makes the most sense, and the suggestion that she was a very old woman is just something that comes from the fact that she's later called a witch, and we have this image of witches as old women. But I'm getting ahead of myself. You guys really have to be on the lookout for that, because if I go off on a tangent, you have to stop me. Come on guys, you can do better. Consolidating what our story is, making it make sense, and I'm sorry that we've gone a little woo all over the place. Sam is dropped by the Navy in 1715. He meets a woman named Mary Hallett. She is somewhere in the 16 to 25 age range. She is unmarried, and she and Sam are deeply and truly in love, the kind of which you see in poems and films. Sam needed money. He needed money to prove to Mary's parents that he was a good man and a man of means. He had to show that he could provide Mary with a life that her father would be happy with. There's even more debate about this, dear gentle listener. Some people suggest that Mary's father was a huge fan of Sam. I think it's more likely that he wasn't. He was ruggedly handsome, but he's ultimately incredibly poor, with no prospects who was just rolled up into Cape Cod with nothing to his name. Now, Sam recognised this. He recognised that he needed money. And at that very moment, a series of events came together in the most perfect but convoluted way. The Spanish Empire at this time was absolutely massive. I mean, truly huge. It stretched from California to the tip of South America. Safe to say, I wouldn't want to walk it. This is a giant empire. It was extremely rich. The issue was getting the money from the Americas back to Europe. I feel like I've already talked about the Spanish Empire's need to bring their wealth back to Europe, to rub it in everyone else's face, way back in our first episode, and so I won't do it again. I'll condense it. On July 23rd, 1715, the single most valuable fleet in history, it is often called the Plate Fleet, left Havana, Cuba, for Spain. It was full of gold and silver and all of the precious materials that had been mined in Central and South America. The fleet represented all of the physical hard currency of the Spanish Empire. Well, not all of it, but a huge, huge amount. This fleet was actually so important to Spain that it had stayed in Cuba for over 10 years, which to me is just crazy. But I do understand the rationale. Spain had been fighting this huge global war, the Spanish War of Succession, 
for all of you who have forgotten about it from the first episode. This is the conflict that, when it had ended, had really kick-started the Golden Age of Piracy's second wind. There was also really terrible weather, and the Spanish didn't want to risk sailing their fleet because the ships were so valuable. However, the Spanish absolutely needed that fleet. They were entirely broke, and they were desperate, and so they had sent for the fleet with a prayer and a dream. The fleet had 11 ships with about 14 million pesos worth of treasure on it. That is hundreds of millions of dollars in today's money. I tried to find out exactly how much it was, but it's really, really difficult to convert currency from the past into modern currency. And so the only numbers I got were, and I quote, hundreds of millions. Not the most helpful, but it's still pretty amazing when you think that these ships had the wealth of the richest empire in the world. Now, the reason I said, say, a prayer and a dream wasn't just to paint a beautiful word painting in your mind, but also because this time of year is hurricane season in that region. So, if it is safe for you to do so, let's go together now on another one of those little visualization trips that we do enjoy doing so much here. Close your eyes. So long as it is safe for you to do so, I cannot stress that enough. Let's have no accidents here, please. Close your eyes, take in a deep breath, and cast your mind to the sea. You are in the Caribbean. You're standing on the deck of a giant wooden sailing ship. All around you, your fellow sailors are busy at work on the deck, chatting in Spanish, talking about where they're going and what they'll do when they get back home. The sea is beautiful and calm as you look over the side into its beautiful, clear, unpolluted, blue, majestic waters. A wind pulls the fleet, of which you are only a small part. All the other ships in the fleet are around you and heading north up the Florida coast. You can see the coast in the distance. You can see dolphins playing and birds flying. A delightful day. It is warm it is pleasant. But what is that ahead? What is that in the distance? Your eyes squinting to see in the distance. It's heavy black clouds rolling in. Before you know it, the sea has been whipped into a frenzy. Those beautiful blue seas now throwing grey waves the size of buildings at you. Ships shattering against 40-foot waves and 100-mile-an-hour winds. A young man, no older than 16, is standing in the deck. Lightning flashes as the ship shudders. You're thrown into the railing at the side of the ship. When you stand up and look back to where the boy was standing, there is nothing. Emptiness. He is gone, disappeared, stolen away into the depths thrown from the deck of the ship in crashing rain and thunderous knees. Ropes snap, sails tear, men are screaming as the ship takes on more and more water. The waves are crashing ever higher now. Forty, fifty feet of pure oceanic fury slamming into you. That's not even the worst of it. The wind is forcing your ship towards the sandy coast. If you hit anything at all under the foaming waves, the ship will beach, and it will sink, and everyone will die. 
You can't see the rest of the fleet now. Who knows where they are? You don't have time to worry about that because your ship is tilting so far to the side that you're certain you're going to fall off. Many others do. You must get the rigging down in time or else the mast will snap and the ship will sink. There is an awful creaking sound over the wind and the rain and the shouting and the fury as the main mast snaps, falling into the sea which rises up to meet it. You're on all fours now, knocked over by Poseidon's tireless fury. You turn your head to the bow of the ship, to where the front of the deck is, and you see it. The biggest wave you have ever seen. When that wave hits, and it is closing in fast, you will sink. You will never again see Spain. You will never again see dry land. Never will you see your beautiful wife again in her beautiful red dress. This is the last thought that you have as the waves crash into the deck, pulling the ship under to your permanent grave in the deep. That was real intense, wasn't it? I really got into that one. Dear gentle listener, come back to me. Come back to the world around you. If you're listening to this near water or with a fan on, I bet that got real intense, didn't it? Let's take a second to remember we're alive, we're all gorgeous as hell, and we're not on a wooden ship sinking off the coast of Florida. If you are, I might be psychic, and I recommend calling the Coast Guard. I hoped that that had helped paint a picture of the realities of sailing at this time. Out of the 11 ships that set sail out of Havana, only one managed to escape the storm. It was called Le Griffin. The other ten all sank. A thousand men drowned in that storm, and the fleet ships were wrecked just off the coast of Florida at a place called Vero Beach. As you can imagine, the news of these wrecked ships, each of them containing more wealth than most nations had, more wealth than you could spend in ten lifetimes, spread fast and wide across the Caribbean and beyond. The Spanish declared, that no one is to loot the ships, on pain of death. But that doesn't really work with pirates. Everything they do is under the pain of death, and so hundreds of sailors took to the seas to scavenge whatever they could. Benjamin Hornigold, one of the founding fathers of Nassau, the famous pirate republic in the Caribbean, is in a position to get the most out of the wreckages. And so he did. It is this treasure and men like Hornigold that set Sam on his famous path. Samuel Bellamy, who is at this point in Cape Cod, meets a man in a tavern. This man's name is Poolsgrave Williams. He is a silversmith and he's actually descended from the Plantagenet line of kings in England. His father is also a very important man in Rhode Island. Samuel and Poolsgrave decide to get in on the action, looting the wrecked Spanish fleet. They make a really good partnership. Sam is an experienced sailor and fighter, and Poolsgrave knows a lot about metals and how to tell the real from the fake. He also has enough money to outfit an expedition to get them there, which is, arguably, the most important part of an expedition. And so off they set, in search of the wealth of the crown of Spain. They tried for months, and they found exactly nothing. Not a single centavo. The crew needed paying, and they had nothing to pay them with. 
As they sailed around the coast of Florida, they spotted an English merchant ship, and they had a choice to make. A choice that many sailors of the day had to make. They chose to raise the black flag of piracy and set upon the ship. Samuel Bellamy, in that moment, becomes Black Sam Bellamy. He's called Black Sam Bellamy because of his long black hair that he would tie with a single piece of cord rather than wearing a powdered wig, which was very common, and his name is Sam Bellamy. I'd like to tell you a quick story about Sam, if I can. I don't know exactly when it happened, but it is at the start of his pirate career, and so I'm going to tell you now. Sam and Poolsgrave found themselves a very large French ship. The ship was too large for them just to attack, and so they came up with a cunning plan. The plan was this. They stripped off all of their clothes, they took up their swords and pistols, and they stormed onto the ship from a little rowboat. It took the sailors entirely by surprise, I mean, of course it did, and they managed to take the ship. This is an amazing story, and I really love it. I wonder if there's anything from it that we can apply to our actual lives now. Who knows, maybe the next time you're stuck in a situation, strip off all your clothes and run away. Might work. While Sam was doing all of this searching, pirating, and aggravated streaking, Mary Hallett discovered that she was pregnant with Sam's baby. She gave birth to a baby boy. This is a culture that isn't cool with things like premarital sex, and Mary is unmarried, and now she has a baby. She is cast out and made to fend for herself. She wraps the baby up in hay to keep him warm and safe while she goes off to search for something to eat. When she returns, she finds her son dead. He had choked on a piece of hay and died. The only thing worse than having a baby out of wedlock was to kill that baby. People would believe that she had intentionally killed the child and she was arrested and taken to the old jail in Barnstable, Massachusetts. I have just learned that that is the oldest wooden jail in the US. And it is said to be haunted by her ghost to this day. So for all you ghost hunters out there and ghost aficionados, that's one for you. She didn't actually serve a very long sentence there, and she was then banished. She went to East Ham to wait for Bellamy to return as he promised he would. So where was Black Sam now? Well, Black Sam was in Nassau. He and Poolsgrave had joined the Pirate Republic, and now they sailed under Hornigold, who was the Commodore of the fleet. On his ship worked a young man whose name was Edward Teach. You may know him better as Blackbeard. Many of the great pirates of the age knew each other. Sam Bellamy isn't even the only Captain Bellamy working in the Caribbean at this time. In 1716, unhappy with Hornigold's decision not to attack English ships, the fleet had a vote, and Hornigold is voted out as the Commodore of the fleet, and Sam Bellamy is elected into that role. Hornigold and his most loyal crew members, including Teach, are allowed to leave the Marianne, which is the name of the ship that Bellamy, Poolsgrave, Hornigold and Teach all sail on together. Bellamy captured another ship named the Sultana, and so he installed Poolsgrave as the captain of the Marianne, taking the Sultana as his new flagship. Together they pirated their way up and down the Caribbean. Bellamy's greatest achievement came in the shape of a ship, the Wider was built as a state-of-the-art galley in London in 1715. It was 31 metres long. It was a slave ship. It had 18 guns and a top speed of 15 miles per hour. That's 24 kilometres per hour. 
That is very, very fast for a ship of its day. It's actually one of the fastest ships around at this time. In the spring of 1770, the Wider, which, by the way, is spelled W-H-Y-D-A-H, just to be extra confusing, is sailing back to Europe from the Americas, filled with money from selling 302 people into slavery. It's actually the Wider's maiden voyage, and this is the first time it's sailing back from America to Europe. Black Sam chased the Wider for three days before getting close enough to fire a shot. He fired one shot from his cannon, and the Wider immediately surrendered. Bellamy took the ship. He removed the captain's quarters, and he upped the total number of guns to 28. He gave the former captain of the Wider his own ship, the Sultana, as a trade. Bellamy had a reputation of generosity, and even something akin to kindness to the people that he captured and pirated. He's often called the Robin Hood of the Seas by his crew, who refer to him themselves as his merry men. I also want to note, and this is amazing to me, in all of the ships that he took, and all of the money and the goods that he took, there isn't a single case where he killed anyone. Not one single person. Black Sam Bellamy is the richest pirate to ever live, and he didn't kill a single person. He liked to dress flamboyantly. He wore a dark black coat, a sword on his left hip, and he was famous for having four dueling pistols on a sash. He was also famous for giving this speech to one ship that he had captured. It was about freedom and liberty and a society governed by the people for the people. Now, bear in mind, this is decades before the American Revolution began with those beliefs at its core. Bellamy is a very unique pirate, and he's very easily one of my top three pirates of all time. If you want to know more about this speech, I fully recommend researching it, looking it up. It is mind-blowing. Returning to his story, two months after capturing the Wider, he and Paulsgrave set sail north for the American colonies. Paulsgrave wanted to visit his family in Rhode Island, and Sam set off north in the direction of Cape Cod. They had agreed to meet again in Maine. If the plan was for Sam to sail back north to Mary Hallett, who was waiting for him in East Ham, he failed. While sailing up the coast, they were hit by a huge storm. Remember back to our daydreaming of the Spanish fleet. That is how it was for the crew of the Wider, which went down in the storm. At 15 minutes past midnight, the mast snapped and the ship sank, killing all but two survivors. Black Sam Bellamy, aged 28, wasn't one of them. The date was April 28th, 1717, and the richest pirate who had ever lived died. The story doesn't have a happy ending for Mary Haller either, I'm sorry to say. She had been banished from her home, disowned by her family, accused of murdering her child, and now she waited on the cliffs of East Ham for the love of her life to return. She apparently went mad, She was seen as a witch by the locals, and she'd be regularly seen screaming in anger at the sea at Sam, who had never come back for her as he promised he would. She died in 1751, 34 years after Sam had died. Paulsgrave Williams, Sam's close friend and fellow pirate, returned to Nassau after finding out what had happened to Sam. He also had to put down a quick mutiny by the crew, who had been forced into piracy. He accepted the pardon of the king from the Act of Grace, 
But a short time later, he was back out on the seas as the quartermaster of a ship captained by one of their former associates. He disliked that he was no longer in charge, and after a brief stint pirating off the coast of Madagascar, he retired from the pirate life and settled down and got married, probably having kids. He disappeared from the world in 1723. And that is the story of Black Sam Bellamy, the richest pirate to ever live. The wreckage of the Wider was found in 1982, and it was the first authentic pirate wreck that had been found in North America. On board, they found 4.5 tons of looted treasure and a ship's bell with the words The Wider Galley, 1716, carved into it. Aside from Poolsgrave, none of the stories of pirates seem to have a good ending. Borrowing, of course, Henry Avery, that might be the only two I can think of. Depending on your opinion of Anne Bonny, hers also has a good ending. I know that we've covered piracy before, but I thought for the return of the podcast, let's go big with a fantastic story. I love podcasts. Well, I do. I love pirates, and I hope you love this episode just as much. It is a fantastic story. If you did, please feel free to rate and review the podcast. It is a fantastic way to get new listeners interested and into the podcast, which makes it easier for me to make new episodes. Thank you so much for being here for another episode of the Who's That Then podcast. I'm sorry that there wasn't one last week. When I was supposed to upload one, I was above America. I had just been on holiday and I traveled to New York. And I remember thinking as I flew past Massachusetts... Down below me, somewhere in the deep dark, are the remains of Captain Sam Bellamy. Now, I'm pretty sure nobody else on the plane had a similar thought, but there we go. I will see you again incredibly soon, dear gentle sweet listener. If you want to get into contact with me directly, you can do that through the show's Instagram as well as the email. Both of those are who's that then podcast. The email is at gmail.com. Please feel free to get into contact with me about absolutely anything you want. Even something as odd as, I don't know, what's your favourite mineral? Mine is salt. I think it's very useful. With that silliness said, I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and healthy and happy. Goodbye for now. Bye-bye.